Let's take a moment and pray together as we prepare to hear from the Scriptures. Lord Jesus, you are kind enough to speak, to speak in words that we can understand and to give us all the writings that together we call the Scriptures, the Bible. You're kind to give us truth about yourself, and you're strong strong enough to capture our attention if we are distracted this morning, strong enough to comfort our hearts if we are anxious, strong enough to break down every barrier of resistance to you and to your will so that our hearts would hear in a way that is beyond human possibility. You are strong and kind. And we wait now to hear from you. Amen. So today we are looking at Philippians chapter 4, just a few sentences that talk about a reality that each of us experience every day. Life is full of ups and downs, highs and lows, swings from one to the other that are unpredictable and that are frankly exhausting. We need something to keep us centered, a a source of strength that means our our whole world doesn't get turned upside down every time there's a swing from the high to the low. And that strength is greater than what we have. It's in the context of, of thanking a church in Philippi for sending him financial support that the Apostle Paul takes an opportunity to to go a little deeper and teach us about the kind of strength that helps us to deal with those swings. So let's listen today for the Scripture reading. Listen for this pattern. Where do we find the secret source of strength for those moments? Oops. We find it first by turning. Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. I'm stupid. Why am I doing this? I shouldn't even be here. This is a picture of a woman born in Ethiopia. Her name is Sifan Hassan. She was a refugee, fled to the Netherlands when she was age 15. And now she runs for the Olympic team from the Netherlands. She just did something no one else has ever done in history. She got medals in one Olympics in three middle distance events. Now, I'm going to describe those, and you might think, those don't sound like middle distance to me. They sound long. 
but in the world of Olympic caliber runners, it's a middle distance when you get a bronze medal in the 1500 meters, about a mile. And then she got a gold medal in the 5,000 meters, that's a little over three miles. And gold medal in the 10,000 meters, that's a little over six miles. In nine days, she medaled in those three separate events. No human being has ever done that before. Middle distance runners will often run all three of those because they're using one or two of them to tune up for the other, which is their specialty. But nobody ever went into all three of those events saying, I'm going to get a medal in all three and then did it. This is an amazing feat that's just been accomplished. And yet, in an interview, Hassan says that when she has a bad day in practice, she leaves the track saying, I'm stupid. Why am I doing this? I don't even belong here. You ever have days like that? Can, can you find some encouragement knowing that even the, the people in the world who are best at what they do have moments like that too? All of us have these kind of gold medal moments where you feel like I am making history. Everything I've been working for is coming out. It is, it is working well. This is why I'm here on this planet. The wind is at my back and everything is going right. And then there are some days that are so awful that you say, I don't even belong on the track. I'm not sure why I'm wasting my time in this universe. And the wild swings that happen in our hearts when one day shifts to the other kind of day. <laughs> Where do we find the strength to cope with that living in that kind of world? Well, let's, uh, let's look at three things from this text today. Context, Christ, and culture. Let's start with context. Why is the Apostle Paul writing these things, these sentences? We learn that in verses 10 and 11. On the one hand, he is, uh, he is imprisoned in, in house arrest in the city of Rome. That means he's not shut in a jail somewhere in a publicly owned facility for holding criminals. He's waiting to, be, uh, to go on trial, and he has to pay rent to rent a home in the city of Rome so that he can live in that home chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And um, he's relying on financial support from other people for that. He can't earn a living while he's under house arrest. He can't travel freely. He can't engage in a trade. And so other Christians are sending money so that he can pay the rent, have food to eat, in theory, he gets a free ration of bread every day from the Romans, but uh, in practice, would that have happened every day for a prisoner? Probably not. And so he's relying on other people to send their support so that his ministry can continue to whatever level it's able while he's still under arrest. And he's saying, thank you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you have revived your concern for me. That's his way of saying, you sent me some earlier gifts, thank you for that. And then there was a period when you weren't able to, but now you've been able to again. I'm, I'm so filled with joy, thank you. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Hey, there was a season where you didn't have a chance to send me any money. Is it because the church in Philippi was on hard times, maybe? Or is it simply that nobody was traveling from there to Rome for a while and there was no way to get anything to Paul? 
But there's something deeper going on here rather than just kind of logistical thanks to my supporters. What Paul is doing here is saying, I want you to see how the gospel, the good news about Jesus as God's appointed king over everything has gripped my heart and life because I want it to grip the heart and life of everybody I meet in just this same way. And I can't be there with you hundreds of miles away. I'm in Rome, you're in Philippi. But I want, through reading this letter, I want this good news about Jesus to grip your heart too. And so he's recently told us just a few verses earlier, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord. I'm living out what I want you to live. The same thing that I want to grip your heart because of Christ is gripping my heart. I rejoice in the Lord. And then you hear this kind of what sounds like autobiographical language. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Well, good for you, Paul. What's that have to do with me? Well, and the answer is he's not just talking about himself. He's saying, I want you to see what Jesus is doing in my heart and life because I want him to do that same thing in your heart and life. Every time he talks about himself in these sentences, he's, he's casting a vision for what could be true for anybody who puts their trust in Christ. He says, I've, I've learned the secret, the source of strength, so that whether I'm having that gold medal day or that I don't even belong on the track kind of day, my whole world doesn't get turned upside down. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I've learned the secret. And he would say to us, the secret is not a how or a what. The secret is a who. So from context, we move to Christ. Who is it that we need? Well, Bruce, would you mind clicking to our next slide? For some reason, this guy doesn't like me again today. We'll make it through. Who is it that we need? Well, listen to the beginning of verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord. We talked last week about what it means to be in the Lord or in Christ. Do you hear that language a lot in the New Testament? What does it mean? It means to be joined to Jesus in such a way that, that we are living all of life through him, because of him, for him, and that the power of his life is flowing into us. We are in Christ. It's like kind of this metaphor, and sometimes it gets painted this way in the New Testament, of, of being hidden inside of Jesus so that you can't get to me without going through Jesus. And I can't get to the world without going through Jesus. And that's true of everybody who trusts Christ. To be in Christ means that, that all of life is through him and for him and because of him and and as we lean into every part of life, his strength and power is with us. And we get to that thought again in verse 13. It's a well-known verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, literally, that 
phrase says, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. It's not because the ESV has mistranslated the word in here. Uh, that Greek word can be translated with about 12 or 15 different English words depending on context. Translators have done a fine job here. But if we were reading this in Greek, we would notice immediately that in idea is coming up not just once but twice. I rejoice in the Lord, verse 10 says, and I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Who do we need? We need to be in Christ. We need Christ so that we can have strength. For what? Strength to, well, verse 13 says, do all things. And we're going to run through a few images here. Bruce, show us a picture of Steph Curry's shoe. If you are familiar with NBA star Steph Curry, uh, you might have seen this phrase on shirts or shoes, I can do all things. It's a reference to this verse from Philippians. Okay, so far so good. We're on pretty solid ground. We're going to look at Pinterest next. And um, this is not a, a very good quality image, but I'll read it for you. It says, don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something when the Bible clearly says, I can do all things through Christ. Now, at this point, we're in dangerous territory. We've, we've taken this phrase out of its context, and we're starting to interpret it in a way that says, I am guaranteed success. I can accomplish anything I try. I can do all things. Hmm. Well, next image, we have gone full throttle, unhealthy, non-biblical. I am Superman. I can do everything because I am strong. No, 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 no. Let's get, get back to what it is we really need. Next slide. <laughs> we need Christ. What, what do these words mean in their context? Because when we take them out of context, Generally, they're taken to mean by many Christians and many non-Christians who are just familiar with the language. They're taken to mean, I am guaranteed success. Don't believe me? Google the image, right? You're going to get, you know, people crossing the line first, leaning into the tape in the race. You're going to get the mountain climber on top of the mountain. You never see a picture of the mountain climber at the bottom going, I, I can't make it. But in the context, that's exactly what this means, right? In the context, these words mean, I am united to Christ in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. So whether I'm having a crucifixion kind of day or a resurrection kind of day, I am with Christ and he is with me and I have strength because I am with him. How do we know that? Well, listen to the pairs in verse 12. As the Apostle Paul says, I've learned this secret of being content. And then he says, I know how to be brought low. Literally, I know how to be humiliated. It's the same language used to describe Christ back in chapter 2, who humbled himself. I know how, I know how to, I know how to follow Christ in the path of his crucifixion. And then it says, not only do I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. I know how to have way more than I need. I know what it's like to have days when, 
when the universe is crucifying you and you're emptied out and there is nothing. And I know what it's like to be so full that you have more than you need. That is this balance of crucifixion and resurrection. The verse goes on to say, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, resurrection, abundant life, more than is needed, more than you can imagine, and hunger, want, lack, emptiness, crucifixion, things being taken away. I learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not a promise that everything I try will succeed. It's not a promise that Jesus has guaranteed me success. It is a promise that I am hidden in him. Whether I'm having a crucifixion day or a resurrection day, he will not leave me. I have strength from him all the time because of who he is, because he has endured those things for me. I can now endure those things in him. It means he'll give me strength to face every circumstance with joy and confidence because I belong to him. Steve was very wise to tell us earlier. That's not the same as saying I'll always be happy. But there's a joy built on a truth that Christ has died and risen again that is an anchor no matter what we're facing. I belong to him if he gives me the strength to run the race. I belong to him and rejoice in him if he enables me to win. But if I run and I lose, I still belong to him. And he gives me strength so that my whole universe doesn't implode because I only got the silver medal or because I finished last at the Olympics or because I didn't even get to run. I'm hidden in him if I get injured during the race and have to withdraw and can't finish and all my dreams are shattered. I'm hidden in him when my career ends and I don't ever get to run again because my identity isn't wrapped up in the running or the winning or the being healthy and injury-free. My identity is wrapped up in Jesus. One of my students in um, St. Louis was a man who used to play football for the St. Louis Rams. And uh, he was this an unusual person because when you saw him, you thought, he's kind of average size, kind of normal. But he was like 6'8", right, and weighed 300 pounds. He was an offensive lineman. But he was so proportionately structured like a human being that he just looked normal. He just happened to be, you know, four times my version of normal. <laughs> and he was getting a degree in counseling. Maybe I've told you about him before. He wanted to spend time talking to people whose careers had come to an end. Professional athletes who had built their whole life around training for a sport and retired and would never again step foot on a field. Nobody would ever cheer their name again. People who had been career military, who had lived in this military world and were retiring, no one would ever salute them again. 
or people who had started their own businesses and sold them. And they would never again get to make a decision that would impact that business. Why did he want to work with those people? Well, as a professional athlete, he knew what it was like to to sink so much of your identity into performing at a high level and then to one day have to walk away from all of it. To go from those gold medal days to the, I will never get to step foot on the track again. And to find our identity in Christ so that on those days when everything we think we are gets taken away. How, that's who we need. That is what we need. We need Christ. How do we live this out? We're just going to shift to the word culture here. Bruce, if you wouldn't mind. How do we live out dependence on Christ for strength in all things, especially when we are religious minorities in a culture that is unfamiliar with and sometimes hostile to our faith? We talked last week about the fact that that is the scenario of the Christian church in the 21st century. It was the context of the Christian church in the first century when these words were written. We'll go a little bit deeper with that thought today because it comes up again in uh, the way the Apostle Paul talks about this secret. I'm going to recommend for us kind of a threefold pattern here. Understand, affirm, and redirect when our identity is hidden in Christ, when we are joined to Jesus in this way, hidden inside of him so that whether we're having crucifixion days or resurrection days, we know that he is with us and we know that he has gone before us, then the way we lean into life in our culture begins with understanding, understand what's shaping the world around us, and then affirming Affirm what we can. Of these cultural influences, what things are consistent with the truth of the gospel. Let's affirm that. Let's rejoice in it. And then the opposite of affirm is not reject in this case, but redirect. That is, we we don't finish the cycle with something purely negative, reject. We're directing towards something positive. We are redirecting what's harmful about these cultural influence, what's, what's not true toward Christ and the good news about him. Let's see how that works here in these verses. We're going to focus in, we're going to focus in on the word secret in verse 12. Paul says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Now, to you and to me, that just sounds like, well, okay, this is a hard thing, and, and uh, you've got to mature and learn something in order to do it, and some people have figured out the secret and some haven't. Great. But what we need to know is that this is, it's, it's, it's really challenging the first century context and a theology of, um, of being in the elite few. Um, 
The word used here for learning the secret was used by many first century religions that we now call mystery religions. The idea in a mystery religion was you don't tell everybody the secret. There's a small group of the elite who get the secret knowledge and they have to go through the secret rituals before you can entrust them with the secret knowledge. And then once they have it, they're fully in. And everybody else is on the outside. A popular mystery religion among retired Roman soldiers and active Roman soldiers was uh, the cult of Mithras, the bull god. And uh, we could just make a long list of these cults from the ancient world. And so here's Paul using language that many retired Roman soldiers in this Roman colony of Philippi would have heard as, oh, he's talking about the mystery religions. There's an elite few who, who know the secret, right? But wait a minute. Is that really what's happening here? What does that have to do with you and me? First, we'll answer that question. Well, think about moralism, which says the secret for coping with all of the ups and downs of life is to be morally elite, is to be religiously elite. I know my moral duty, and I do it better than anybody else. And that is why God loves me if there's a God. He loves me because I perform better. I win, I win the holiness race. I win the know your Bible race. I win the I went to church more than you did race. I win the I was a very good person by the standards of my time and culture race. I am, cultural, I, am, I am religiously elite. I am morally elite. I am better at doing what I ought to than most people, and that is what will get me through. That's the secret. I have this elite status. And then there's humanism or secularism that says, hey, the, the secret for getting through life is really to be part of the, the intellectual elite, the cultural elite. Know what the trends are since, since the Enlightenment. Know what real uh, good neighborliness is. Know what real love or tolerance or affirmation of others looks like. And if you don't know those things, well, you're just not cultured or you're not good at using your mind. You're somehow intellectually behind the times. So we will make it through because we know the secret. The secret is this elite status we don't earn elite status in our day by standing under the bull when he is sacrificed in the name of Mithras so that his blood drips down on us. But we have ways of measuring who's in the elite and who isn't. And listen to what Jesus says in the gospel. This promise that you can be hidden in me, Jesus says, is available to anybody, anywhere, anytime. There is no elite. There is no small group of people who know the secret while the rest are left wondering and looking from the outside. Jesus says openly, come to me, anyone, anywhere, anytime. This promise, this offer is made to everyone. His crucifixion 
was performed for the forgiveness and pardon to show mercy to anyone who comes to Christ in faith. His resurrection did not happen in a corner so that just a small group of people knew about it. It happened in front of eyewitnesses. And it started with one or two, and then it became 10 or 20, and then it became 500, the Scriptures say, on one day. And the whole world is invited to know the truth about this crucified and resurrected Savior. So what can we affirm now that we understand a bit of how our culture says, hey, the secret is this elite status belonging to the elite few. First century culture said the same thing. Join a mystery religion. Be one of the elite few. The gospel says just the opposite. We can affirm that, yes, there is a secret, and that secret can be learned. We can affirm that. And here, Paul even is happy to use the vocabulary that could be misunderstood as connected to a non-Christian religion. He doesn't treat it as so tainted that we have to stop using that word. And so we can affirm, you know what, there, there is a secret, and it can be learned. But then we have to redirect, and we have to say, the secret is not a ritual. The secret is not the blood of Mithras. The secret is not, I'm part of the elite, and you're just a peon. The secret is a person who has been crucified and resurrected. And if we are hidden in him, then no matter what kind of day we're having, we have strength from him to endure all kinds of things. We have strength from him on the great day of plenty and abundance. And we have strength from him on the days of hunger and emptiness when we are brought low. Because we always have him. And that offer is not just for an elite few. It is for everyone. Uh, Elliot Kipchoge won the Olympic men's marathon this week. And um, there was a point in the race when he just decided to leave everybody else. And the race was essentially over at that point. Um, The margin of victory was close to a minute and a half by the time he crossed the finish line. You could see him crossing the finish line and then barely see the next group of runners way back here. And these are elite world-class runners, right? And here's this man who has this phenomenal talent. He's the only person in history to run a marathon in under two hours. Um, Incredible talent. And when you listen to him talk about running, I don't get it. Because he says stuff like, I want everybody to know that they can run too. (laughs) Like, not like you can. (laughs) Dude, you're running 26 miles at around four minutes and 20 seconds per mile. And you're doing that 26 times in a row without stopping. But he doesn't talk about it like, you know, I'm the greatest and I'm this awesome thing. He talks about, I want people to learn 
that every human being can be more fit than they are right now. I want them to learn that from me. I want everybody to benefit from this thing I'm doing. And then she's doing it at this level that nobody on the planet can copy or duplicate. And yet his attitude to it is, but I want it to benefit everyone. Do you see what we can affirm in that? I don't know if this man is a Christian or not. But I can look at that and understand what he's saying and I can go, what, what a great heart of humility. That he doesn't say, I'm in the elite few, the rest of us, the rest of you, forget it. And we can say, there's an echo of the gospel in this, isn't there? There's an echo in, in what he's saying of Christ. If anybody wanted to look at the human race and say, I am the elite one, I did it right, the rest of you got it totally wrong, it would be Jesus. And yet, what does Jesus do? He says, come to me, anybody, anytime, anywhere. Hide yourself in me. Join yourself to me by faith. Trust me. And I will never leave you. And we will do this together. The elite one descended down to our level to say, I want everything that I am to benefit you. And all the ups and all the downs, hide yourself in me. And I will never leave you. I will be your strength. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are gracious. We sang earlier that you're kind, that you're strong. We see your strength in the way that you endured crucifixion with still a heart of compassion toward your crucifiers and a heart of love toward your Father and obedience to him. And we see your strength in your resurrection glory how now you are beyond the ability of death or injury or sickness to touch your body ever again. And you are so completely filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that not only will you never sin, you can't even be tempted now. And we see your kindness that one who is so strong, you don't run off and leave us behind. You bring us with you. You invite us to yourself. And you invite us to be hidden in you. We give you thanks. Amen.